welcome in to Pass the Mic. This is a show that spotlights the accomplishments and the paths, the successes, and sometimes even the struggles of women in sports and sports media. I'm Peggy Kaczynski, host of season two here on Pass the Mic. Now, if you're a fan of the show and if you watched it in season one, you know what we're all about, but you know that you can still give us the thumbs up here on YouTube. And please don't forget to subscribe to our page as well. We have last season's episodes available with John Buffone and Alyssa Barbieri on the Barroom Network. Great conversations with some really interesting people that you may want to check out. You know what? You can even binge it on these cold winter nights here. Pass the mic. Well, let's see. It was created with a very simple and important goal in mind, and that was to feature women in sports and sports media. Often we highlight their struggles along with their success. We think that through open and honest dialogue and discussion, we can actually impact many women and actually some of the men out there in sports as well. Our guests come from all over, not just Chicago. You'll see nationwide, sometimes all over the world as well, from veterans in their industry to newbies who are just getting started. Everybody has a story. This week, our guest is an NFL analyst with CBS Sports and that other pregame show on CBS. She is the former CEO of the Oakland Raiders, a lawyer, chairman of the Big Three League, and author of the book, You Negotiate Like a Girl. Let's welcome in the NFL's first female front office executive, Amy Trask. I'm past the mic. Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show. I love your story so much, and I have followed you on Twitter. I followed you on CBS Sports, and now I get you all to myself to ask you some questions that I've just been dying to know. Um, first of all, thank you. Um, your story with how you even started working at the Raiders is such a great lesson for men and women. Tell us the story of how you first got your first job with Oakland. Well, to begin, thank you for inviting me. Uh, how it all began was um, I picked up the phone and I called the organization to inquire about an internship. I was in graduate school at the time. I heard students talking about internships, externships. I'd never even heard the word externship before. Uh, but I picked up the phone and I called the organization. Now, by way of background, I did my undergraduate work at Berkeley, fell in love with the Raiders while I was at Cal and the Raiders were really and truly just down the street in Oakland. And the year I came back to Los Angeles to go to grad school was the same year that the team ultimately moved to Los Angeles. The team had tried a few years earlier, but been ordered, was ordered back to Oakland uh, by the court as that litigation was in process. So when I came down from Berkeley back to Los Angeles for grad school, the team came down as well. It was my chosen team. I was a fan for reasons I'm happy to share, but I picked up the phone and I contacted them about doing an internship while I was in grad school. So you rejoin the team, you come back, you end up there for like 30 years, but you work for Al Davis and you gain his respect enough to become the highest ranking female in NFL front offices at a time when there were no women at all. First of all, how did you garner the respect of Al Davis? 
Well, I did the internship that we that I just mentioned. Uh, as you correctly noted, I then joined the team on a full-time basis. Uh, I don't know precisely how to answer your question, but we'll share with you an observation about Al. Uh, I'll correct a misconception about him by way of sharing an incident, if you will, that may have gone a long way to establishing our relationship from the get-go. I believe the biggest misconception about Al is that he won't tolerate wouldn't tolerate disagreement, wouldn't tolerate those who disagree with him. That's been a, a belief about Al. It was a belief about him all throughout my career, um, but it's not true. It wasn't true. He absolutely tolerated disagreement and absolutely tolerated those who disagreed with him, or I would have been terminated roughly two weeks after I was hired. I'd been in the organization it was two, two and a half weeks. I was sitting in the office, oh, and I should say this was after I had joined on a full-time basis. And I was sitting in the office with uh, a colleague, and Al walked in and tore into this man the way I can only imagine a velociraptor would have torn into flesh. <laughs> and I listened to him for a bit, and I realized he was wrong. So I said in a very loud voice, because I don't have a dainty voice under any circumstance, but he was talking very loudly. He was very passionate, very angry. So I very loudly said, excuse me, you're wrong. And I will never forget the look on his face when he, his head sort of pivoted around like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. And he looked at me like, what did you say? So I said again, you're wrong. And I went on to say that if his conclusion was based on accurate data, accurate information, it would be a fair conclusion, but that he was basing his conclusion on inaccurate information. Well, he yelled and I yelled and he yelled and I yelled. And, and when I say yelled, we were just having a very passionate, passionate argument and, and, and we were each speaking very, very loudly. I learned later that everybody within earshot in the organization had gathered outside the office to listen. And one woman even brought cartons with her because she figured I'd have to pack. Well, after quite a while of arguing, he said to me, oh, okay, I gotcha. I got it. I got it. Just in that tone of voice. And we went on to finish the conversation. And again, that was roughly two weeks after I was hired. Oh my goodness. And what I learned in that moment was, not only did he tolerate disagreement, which people said he wouldn't and he didn't, one could convince him he was wrong. Now, look, I went on to disagree with him more than I agreed with him throughout the next 30, almost 30 years, um, or stated more clearly because I find myself tongue-tied with you, um, we disagreed more than we agreed over the course of my career. But that never stopped me from disagreeing with him. And he always listened. But what I learned was when you wanted to disagree, come armed with facts. Mm -hmm. That is that is so interesting. I love that story too. What I don't love so much, and Amy, please tell me that you don't like these nicknames either. I hate the nicknames that people had for you when you were with the Raiders. Um, Prince of, Princess of Darkness and I, Al Davis with ovaries. I mean, what is that supposed to mean? Okay. I, I, I don't recall the latter of the two, but I'm going to disagree with you on the first one you mentioned. I 
love my nickname. I shall forever cherish the nickname Princess of Darkness. Now, you are right. <laughs> when that was bestowed upon me, it was not intended as a compliment. Mike Silver, who was with Sports Illustrated at the time, and he's gone on to just be just do many, many fabulous things in his journalism career, uh, he wrote an article, a feature piece, in which he quoted anonymous league and team executives saying that, you know, behind her back, we refer to her as the princess of darkness. And it clearly was not intended as a compliment. You're right about that. But I liked it. And Raider fans liked it. And we all embraced it. And I shall forever cherish that. And by the way, I hope you're a little frightened of me right now because <laughs> I'm always going to own princess of darkness. Well, you know, you must not have been well welcomed in by the big boys um, at a time when it was only the boys or, or were you were what was the toughest group for you to to break into? Was it you know, owners? Was it other team executives? Was it the agents? Was it the players? I mean, where did you find the obstacles? Well, I'll answer that in a few ways. Uh, you are absolutely right. When I went to my first league meeting, I was the only woman in the room. Uh, so look, look, for many of the people listening to this, they weren't even born when I started my career. I started with the Raiders in the early part of the mid-80s as an intern, and shortly thereafter, also in the mid-80s on a full-time basis. And I went to that first league meeting, and I was the only woman in the room. Uh, but I received a lot of support from a lot of the team owners in that room, men like Lamar Hunt and Wellington Mara and Ralph Wilson, to name a few. Oh, oh and atop the list, Dan Rooney. Um, they, and I should have named Dan first. You know, this was at a time I joined the Raiders when Al was involved in a legal dispute with the league. The league had sued the Raiders. Al had counterclaimed. I joined the organization. And, and the reason I note that is these men that I just named, Dan Rooney, Lamar Hunt, Wellington Mara, Ralph Wilson, they were adverse to Al in that litigation. But from the moment I entered that room, they offered me their support and their encouragement, and they did so for all the years we interacted. As to players, I never, over the course of almost 30 years, had any experience with a player in which I sensed any resentment on, on anyone's part or any opposition based on my gender. My experience with players was they wanted to know, how are you helping make us a better team? How are you contributing to help us win? And if one was contributing in that regard, that was great by way of players. Was there opposition to me based on my gender? Of course there was. Did I care? Not one bit. You know, people ask me all the time, was I tested because I was a woman? Well, you know what? People are tested all the time. They're tested based on race or gender, age, educational background, seniority, ethnicity. People are tested all the time. And it is my view that when one is tested, the best thing to do is pass the damn test. So that's where I put my energy. I never focused on my gender doesn't make sense to me that if I want to walk into a room, a business meeting, a locker room meeting, a coaches meeting, a meeting with bankers or municipal leaders or anyone else, and I don't want them thinking about my gender, or I hope they're not thinking about that, 
that I should be thinking about it. That just doesn't make sense to me. I remember a player once uh, called me ma'am. He was a rookie at the time. I won't say his name, uh, the Chicago Bears rookie. And he kept referring to me as ma'am. And I pulled him aside and I said, hey, you, know, you don't have to call me ma'am. I really do appreciate the respect. And he said, well, I, I've never had a woman in the locker room before, so I, I, I don't know what else to call you. And I said, well, you could call me Peggy. And I really respected the fact that he could have gone at it the opposite way and given me a hard time. Instead, he went in it from a, a matter of respect. And when I read about the stories in your book, You Negotiate Like a Girl, the stories of respect, I, I just, I love that because what you just said about just do the job, do the job and that other stuff goes away. Al Davis saw that you could do the job. But Al Davis, it sounds like, was getting pressure from other people that didn't want you to be doing the job. Were people trying to get you fired behind your back? Uh, I don't know that it was necessarily behind my back. <laughs> I don't know that that was, um, or I guess I'll state it differently. I don't think that was based upon me being a woman. I, I uh, you know, maybe I'm, um, maybe it was. I don't think it was. Uh, there are people in organizations that are always looking, or I shouldn't say always, there are people in business organizations and other organizations who look to advance themselves at the expense of others. They think it's a zero-sum game. If I can push one person aside, that gives me a path to uh, greater success for me. As That's a viewpoint I think is just absurd, uh, and, and it's, it's offensive for many reasons. When you work for an organization, your obligation is to the organization for which you work to do your best, uh, not to worry about being the best um, or being the center of attention, but being the best you can be for the organization in whatever role you play. So uh, did that happen? Absolutely. Do I believe or know that it was based upon my gender? No, I don't know that. There is a story when there was a meeting set up, I guess, with the NFLPA, Demora Smith and Al Davis, he could not, Al Davis could not attend, or he sent you to at least welcome Demora Smith and his entourage. Um, and um, you were stopped by someone in Demora Smith's group. Can you tell that story? Uh, yes, it, it surprised me. I don't know that it should have um, surprised me as it did because I do know that these sorts of things go on, but I was surprised when I walked downstairs to greet DeMorris and explain to him that Al wasn't able to meet with him, but to welcome him to his building. And someone with his group approached me and as I started to walk towards DeMorris stopped me and asked me whose secretary I was. And, and that took me back because that was an assumption that um, he made, assuming that I was there in the role as someone's assistant or secretary. Oh my goodness. Wow. I have to actually laugh at that though. Um, it, it, it is fairly funny if it wasn't so bad. Um, so look how far the NFL has come. They have directors of diversity. Um, the, the Chicago Bears hired Tanisha Wade as their director of diversity. Sam Rappaport works for the NFL as a senior vice president of diversity. Is having a director of diversity, uh, I'll, I'll, let me back up a little bit. In Chicago, now that they are on a search for general manager and a head coach, when they heard about Tanisha Wade being a, as a part of the committee that George McCaskey has put together in their search committee, 
and he said that she is the director of diversity, people were scratching their heads and looking around going, what, wait, the Bears have a director of diversity? There's a woman working in the Bears front office. You know, what does this woman know about hiring a football coach or, you know, a general manager? What, why is having directors of diversity good for the NFL and for these National Football League teams, Amy? Well, I don't, I've never been a big believer in titles. So I will say that I don't think that it matters what someone's title is in that regard, whether they're a director or a senior director, or to me, the title is not what's important. Diversity is important. Inclusiveness is important because look, it's important for many, many reasons. It also happens to make businesses far better than they would otherwise be. An organization, a business that is comprised only of people who are of the same background, who think the same, who come from the same experiences, who have the same worldviews, is not going to be as good or as strong as a business that is diverse and inclusive. So I love what they're doing. I just don't know that a title needs to be associated with it. So I wonder how you feel about this. Um, for some groups of people, whether it's women or whether it's minorities, um, there is an assumed obligation to help others along the way. And I have to admit that I was very annoyed by it in my career until I actually like felt that I had a responsibility. And, and it did come later in my career when I was a little bit more established and I didn't feel like I was constantly working to keep my job. Did you ever feel, or maybe you can tell me I'm wrong and how I felt, that pressure to give back and helping other women is an obligation when, I mean, we don't ask men to, to help other men necessarily. I mean, we're all still competing at times too. Well, I look at it differently than many do and perhaps differently than, than you do at this point, which is I'm going to help people without regard to gender. Um, throughout my career, I received tremendous, tremendous assistance from a lot of really, really good men. So am I going to help women? Yes. Do I help women? Yes. But do I help men every bit as much? And do I want to do that every bit as much? I do. Um, and I'm not going to explain this particularly well, I don't think. Um, I hope I explain it in a manner that, that comes out somewhat coherently. I was offered support and encouragement throughout my career by a lot of terrific men who did what they could to give me every bit of support and encouragement that they could. So I believe it's shame on me if now I was to take the view I'm only going to work to help other women advance. Am I going to help other women? Yes. Do I help other women? Yes. But do I help men as well? Absolutely. How in the heck is it fair for me to want to be supported not only by other women, but by men who have supported me throughout my career and yet in turn say, I'm only going to support women. And I realize I didn't say that particularly well. I hope it came across somewhat clearly. But how is it the right thing? And, and, you know, here's the punchline. I don't think it is the right thing for me to want to be supported not only by other women with whom I work, but men, and to have enjoyed the benefit of that support and now take the view that I'm only going to support other women. 
I completely understand. I really do. And I think that it also means that we have a long way because we don't have to be pulling up, you know, by the bootstraps all the time. And we all had someone else help us. I had plenty of men help me as well. And I have a son who's going into the industry. I want someone to be able to help him too. So, all right, I'm going to wrap things up with you. Just a couple more questions. I'm just curious. Do you want to get back into the front office of an NFL team? No, I don't. Um, I, I, I really and truly don't. And the, the, the best way to explain it is very simple. I was a Raider. I was a Raider for almost 30 years. And to me, that's not fungible. I've had some opportunities, some really, I'll use a word I like, very neato opportunities <laughs> to join other organizations. But I didn't view being a Raider as fungible. Throughout my career, and, and to this day, um, I, well, throughout my career, I had colleagues and, and friends throughout the league, and to this day, many people with whom I worked and who are my friends and are still in the league move from organization to organization, uh, maybe wearing the red of one team one year, the green of another team another year, and if that works for them, that's terrific, and, and they should do that if that's the right thing for them to thine own self be true. But to me, being a Raider wasn't fungible. I was a Raider, and I just don't see ever, I, not that I don't see, I don't want to join another organization. For our audience, the reason I asked Amy that is because Minnesota Vikings interviewed Catherine Raich, who is the Eagles Director of Football Operations um, for the Minnesota GM opening. And of course, I mean, here in Chicago, we do have a general manager opening as well. Finally, Amy, what's next for you? Well, I'm enjoying everything I'm doing right now. I am with CBS Sports and enjoying my work as a football analyst. I'm enjoying my work with the Big Three, a startup that, well, relatively startup. We started up a bit before the pandemic shut down and then restarted. Three-on-three uh, -three basketball league started by Ice Cube and uh, his longtime business partner, Jeff Quantinitz. And I'm doing some writing and I'm very, very, very happy with my current adventures. Well, I loved getting to know you. I loved you sharing your, your thoughts with our audience as well. And I'm really looking forward to the day that we can talk about female executives in the NFL and compare them to Amy Trask by saying they are as good, as smart, as tough as Amy Trask. And we won't even mention any body parts when we say that. So I look forward to that. <laughs> that is very, very kind of you to say. And along those lines, I will simply add that I'm regularly asked when a woman is afforded a, a, an opportunity or a promotion, when we see women on the sideline, on the field as officials, if I'm excited. And my answer is, well, of course I'm excited, but what's going to truly be exciting is when these stories are no longer newsworthy because people are hired without regard to race, gender, uh, or any other individuality, which has no bearing whatsoever on whether they can do a job. Amen. You can follow Amy on Twitter at Amy Trask. Don't forget to tune in to that other football pregame show on CBS Sports. Thank you, Amy, so much for joining us. And we are going to be right back with the mic drop after this. Tree. 
do crayons get their color? Do you understand me? How big can a bubble be? How high can I climb? How fast can I run? How long can we spin? She should question everything. Why do we have a bedtime? But never herself. That's why there's girls in the game. Are we there yet? Where is water coming Helping young girls turn why into why not. Now to the mic drop. And I want to bring in my producer, Aldo, because he's behind the scenes and you guys always hear me talking. But I love hearing his reaction to interviews as well. So for the mic drop, let's bring in Aldo. Hi, Aldo. Hi, what a great interview. I am so, so happy. I, I told you during the commercial break that I was going to run out and buy her book. Yeah. Uh, she, she has such a great take on things. And I, I you know, I'm familiar with her background, but just listening to her share some of those stories with Al Davis and some of her opinions about uh, gender and inclusion and so forth, I was just fascinated. And she's such a smart woman. Woo, I loved it. Great I interview. know. So here's the thing. The takeaway you get from Amy Trask is that she is gender blind. She mm -hmm. doesn't go into, she doesn't look back at her career and say um, that she was the first female NFL executive, the first you know CEO, female CEO of the Raiders. She is gender blind. And mm -hmm. you get that when she says, um, I didn't really realize that, uh, you know, I guess maybe looking back, okay, maybe that's why they said some things to me. Uh, Demora Smith had a guy in his entourage that was, you know, um, stepped in front of Amy and asked whose secretary she was when she was the CEO of the team. Uh, mm -hmm. Looking back, did she think that that had to do with gender? Yeah, of course it did. But she never approached her job that way. And she also didn't raise the flags and say, you know, march in and say, I need to be in here now. You know, you need to give me this opportunity. Do your job and they will recognize the skills that you have and you will be given the opportunities. And like you just said, Aldo, some of the things that she went through, you went through. So it is gender blind. Maybe it's just how tough it can be in an industry early on in your career. Yeah. Yeah. I, I When I was uh, 18 years old and I got an internship at a company in their creative services department, I went through so many anxieties that I recall Sarah Spain talking about on this show and so many of our other guests have talked about on Past the Mic. And I started thinking to myself, you know, perhaps some of the things that we go through, men and women are very, very similar. The big issue, though, is the closed doors, those locked doors that have existed for generations and generations that have stopped people from getting that opportunity. I got that job with this energy company and their creative department because it was a minority hire program. And so if I if I didn't have that, who knows where I'd be? I'd probably be selling shoes somewhere as opposed to being in show business. So um, we we just need the, the, those opportunities. And another thing that you know really resonated so much with uh, the with what Amy shared with you, it's about being prepared for those challenges. Mm -hmm. It's about taking those challenges head on and not 
you know, necessarily always casting it as, well, it's because I'm a Puerto Rican or it's because I'm a woman or it's because push that aside and fight and win that challenge and prove to people that you are capable of doing anything as well as anybody else. And that I thought that was a really valuable lesson that she shared with all of us. And you know what else she shared? She embraced when they gave her the nickname Princess of Darkness. She embraces it. She loves it. Um, I know she doesn't love the other one that I had read, and that was Al Davis with ovaries. That just, I mean, my God, please. Uh, By the way, I found the article, Mike Silver, uh, from October uh, 2002. So I'll send that to you and read that together. That's going to be fascinating to go through that. Oh, well, I loved it. Um, she's just a, a really interesting woman. I could have talked to her forever, but there are some uh, games on and she <laughs> wanted right. to go do her job. And that was to make sure that she watches the NFL games. And so I wanted to make sure that she got to the game so that she could watch the, uh, the game so that she, uh, I didn't hold her back from her job. So I loved it. Amy Trask was fantastic. And you know what we tell the people, if you guys like this episode, Give us the thumbs up, please. Click that thumbs up. Go back. You can binge watch some of our other episodes. You can follow me on Twitter at Peggy Kaczynski or on Facebook, Peggy Kaczynski, NBC Chicago. I'm also on Instagram at NBC Peggy. And I have, you know, this other show, The Sportscaster and Her Son, which is on this guy over here, over there, The Barroom Network. Uh, That's The Sportscaster and Her Son on The Barroom Network. You can catch those shows with me and my son, Jason, as well. And please subscribe to both of them. Our thanks to our guest, Amy Trask. You can follow her on Twitter at Amy Trask. Also check out that other pregame show on CBS Sports Network, which she is also a part of. Thank you, Aldo. As always, you're fantastic. I appreciate everything that you do. Thank you guys all. Uh, (laughs) Thank everyone for watching this episode of Pass the Mic, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.